This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Uh, Something that we haven't talked about on the show before, or at least very much about, are how, well, small business owners or business owners in general have made Mm -hmm. mistakes when faced with financial difficulty. I think financial difficulty would come up pretty quickly for mm-hmm. a small business owner or a business owner, you certainly be aware of it. Let's talk about let's talk about the differences. I, one of the pieces that I was interested in is about that personal liability right. being a being incorporated or a limited entity, uh, and that personal liability and how those can play yeah, against let, each other. Yeah, let's start there because yeah, we focus really on individuals and on small businesses. So I see people, you know, every day of the week who they've got either you know a small corporation, you know, maybe they're a drywaller or. A contractor, a truck driver, a real estate agent, but they've set up a corporation. And I see people that, you know, just have proprietorships, which means essentially they're doing work in their own name. What's the big difference between them? Well, yeah, what is the yeah. big difference? And it's funny when you ask people that have a corporation, you know, why did you incorporate? What were the benefits you were hoping for? Quite often they can't articulate them. They're just not sure. They said, oh, my lawyer told me it might be good, but you know, hey, hey I'm just incorporated and that's that. So essentially when you incorporate, you're creating a separate legal entity. So you and myself, Elaine, we're both separate legal entities. And if we created a corporation, that would be like a legally separate person. So that person can have assets, that person can have obligations, liabilities, and that person can essentially carry on business. The reason why you would incorporate is to try to put some distance between you and the business. So you would say, you know, if this business doesn't go that well, um, I don't want to have all the liability to myself personally. So you'd set it up as an incorporated business with the idea that you would have some limitation of your liability. What we're going to talk about a little bit today is most of the time that assumption doesn't play out. You know, it's corporation theoretically, it limits your liability, but a lot of the liabilities a business can incur, they're going to follow you. If you are the director, if you're the person that's operating that business, regardless of whether it's incorporated or not, you may still be on the hook, which kind of frustrates some of the benefits of incorporation. So we're going to go into that a little bit. Okay. So if I, so if I have my own business and I incorporate, then if some if it doesn't go well then my assets can get attached to the failure or to they can go after my assets is that what you're saying so potentially that could be the the end state okay. so what would happen is you know the business is going to start operating right and the business is going to start incurring some obligations typically and then we're going to hit our first frustration of legal liability here is no one is going to loan business or agree to, you know to advance credit to a corporation that has you know no history no assets sure. no liabilities it makes sense so before anybody's going to you know put themselves at risk they're probably going to make the owner or the director guarantee personally. So exactly what you said, Elaine, if that business can't pay, they're going to come to you personally to to basically come after those amounts. Now that's for things that you consciously sign on for, but there are things that you're automatically liable just when you have a corporation by being a director. Okay, let's talk about those. What are the automatic ones? Well, so some of them are just pure common sense and you would really want it to be set up this way. And one of them is employee wages. So you can't start a corporation, tell everybody that you're going to pay them wages and then suddenly, you know, go off in the middle of the night and not pay them and expect to get away from it. So 
any wages that are owed to an employee for up to six months of work, um, they've got to be paid by the corporation. Or if the corporation doesn't pay, the owner or essentially the director of the corporation is going to be held personally liable for those wages. Okay. So employee wages are a huge thing. The other amounts are typically government amounts that are owing. So when you pay, pay your employee wages, you've got to withhold taxes and send those back to the government. Very quickly, when a business starts to go south a little bit, of course, you pay your people, but you've got this money in your hand here and, you know, it's the government's money. It's supposed to go back to the government, but quite often that money gets used in business operations and a government debt can build up. That debt, the director is going to have to pay personally as well. So again, the liability limitation of a corporation, it doesn't work for things like employee wages, for employee source deductions, and also for GST. So okay. you're doing transactions, you're collecting GST, similar to the employee wage deductions. You know, it's, you got this money and you're struggling to make ends meet. Should you send it to the government? You absolutely have to send it to the government. It's okay. their money. And if you don't, you'll be personally liable. Now, if I've set up, if I'm doing business just by under my name, that makes me also very... Um, liable. Oh right? yeah, then you're you're fully exposed. And I think that the point of my discussion here is you're pretty well fully exposed <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, that's the message. For most people unless, you know, there's a lot of complexity, you know, a bunch of employees or, you know, a few locations, you know, have that real discussion with your advisor or even, you know, call us and we can talk about it a little bit of what benefits do you think you'll get by being incorporated? Because there are costs. Every year you've got to do corporate tax return for the corporation, an annual information form for the corporation. You know, it's not thousands of dollars, but it is every year you've got some obligations. Whereas if you're operating as a proprietorship, you don't have those obligations. You do your regular taxes, you show your self-employment income, and very clearly you understand that you've got personal liability here for things that the business incurs and for government amounts as well. But the key message that you have right now is the fact that even if you are incorporated, you're still exposed. You still have to pay yeah. out that money for wages. You still have to pay the government their do, what they're due. Exactly. So if someone is listening to, to this broadcast and they say, I've got an incorporated business, I've only got so much money to go around and I've got to decide who to pay, who you pay first is your employees, their source deductions, and your GST. Those are the most important debts that you need to satisfy. Okay. Um, what, are the, what are the things that, that business owners uh, should avoid doing when they can see that they're in financial difficulty? Yeah, like, like any good thing in life, if you know you've got a problem coming down, down the pike here, the worst thing you can do is to procrastinate, right? The worst thing you can do is to avoid the problem, put your head in the sand. You I was going to say, so that's not a good idea? That's, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it's not going to get better and it will get worse. Okay. Um, because, you know, what, what can happen is, you know, the longer you wait, quite often the suite of options that you have available to you shrinks. Sure. So, you know, if you've got some suppliers and you need them to work with you and give you extended terms and, you know, not inform when you're delinquent, they might be open to doing that if you told them right away when you're having problems. If it's three or six months, they've been chasing you, they've had to get lawyers involved, and now you want to compromise with them, it's going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah, I don't know when where when pro, uh, procrastination is a good idea on anything, right? Yeah, it just no. doesn't seem to be a benefit. Mm -hmm. All right, what else? Well, not planning is, you know, a, a big aspect as well. So, you know, really planning about should I be incorporated or should I operate as a proprietorship and what are the benefits there, but also planning out your cash flow. So understanding, you know, on a monthly basis, here are the business obligations. Here's what the government requires each month. And the government very clearly says, if you can't satisfy our obligations each month, 
your right decision is to shut your doors the next day. Mm. So you've got to go through and, you know, understand, are you going to be able to satisfy those obligations in lean times? Because many businesses, they're cyclical. You know, if you're a realtor, you're not selling a whole lot of homes in December, but you've still got tax obligations. You may have other corporate, you know, costs that you have to make each month. So you've got to plan ahead. So who's going to, who, who would be the, the type of person or the organization that's going to help me do that plan? Because that sounds like a really important plan to make. You know, your accountant is usually a good place to start. Okay. So, you know, whoever's helping you with your financial statements, they can help you set up a spreadsheet. You know, obviously we're happy to, you know, talk in a general sense of, about the business, but, you know, quite often it falls down to the individual. You know, there's nothing new under the sun here. You've got to figure out what's your revenue, what money do you expect to come in, what's it going to cost you to make that revenue. And, you know, if there's a mismatch between those, that's where you've got some issues. So I think sometimes, and I definitely see it in clients that come to see me, they get paralyzed and thinking, I just need the perfect tool. I need the perfect budgeting spreadsheet to get through all of this. But no, you just need to ask some very basic, simple questions. You know, your cash flow can be about three lines. What's my income? What's my expenses? And what's left at the end of the month there? There's no magic is what you're telling me. No magic. All right. What about getting more, uh, figuring out how to get more money, like borrowing money, going out and getting some? Sometimes it can be a good decision if you've done the right plan and you figured out, you know what, I'm going to be lean for two or three months. I know exactly what I'm going to use this capital for, extra money I'm going to inject into the business. It can be the right decision. Most of the time when I see folks, they haven't done that type of of a thought. They've said, you know, emotionally, I'm so attached to this business. And I understand that. That could be, you know, a 20-year family business, you know, so much invested beyond the financial in it. But you really have to look at, are you throwing good money after bad? You right. know, borrowing more money to invest, quite often the business isn't going to be able to borrow that on its own. You're going to be borrowing that personally, right? And if you set up as a corporation, you've tried to limit some liabilities, again, you're losing that limitation of liabilities. So you may be putting yourself personally at more risk by continuing to invest in a business if you're not sure it's going to make it. And I always sort of see the emotional side of these things too. That could be a really difficult decision for some folks, especially if it's not just a family thing, but like a dream business, right? Like I've wanted to do this all my life. I can't believe it's not working. Yeah. And, you know, quite often just shutting down the business doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the line. It doesn't mean you can never do this work, you know, quite often people will shut down a corporation, they may go through a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, and they may start up even while they're in the bankruptcy or in the proposal, a very similar business, but starting fresh, right? Starting fresh without all the hangover of 20 years of, you know, financial, you know, artifacts behind you of obligations of leases of different things like that. And having learned a whole bunch of really important lessons too, right? I mean, it makes sense to me that there's a, there's a smart, thoughtful way of doing something. And then there's, the other way. And if it gets you to that smart, thoughtful way, then boy, it's a good, it's a good thing at the end of the day. Yeah. I don't know. And well, the time to have all of these discussions and all these these plans are when you're not in the eye of the storm, right? right? You know, if you're already, the business is insolvent, it can't honor its obligations each month, you know, your personal assets are already at risk. At that point, the worst thing you can be doing is trying to say, well, what do I need to do now to structure to protect myself? It's too late. You have to do it, you know, when the business is solid, when you're starting out structure appropriately. Now, we've we've touched on the personal resources. You don't think it's a very good idea uh, to accumulate personal debt to support the business. What about personal guarantees? I mean, that, you know, I can see that that 
that's a pitfall that somebody could fall into easily. Yeah, what I don't think is a good idea is signing these types of guarantees or obligations without understanding 100% that this could be called and you might have to be on the hook for it. And that's the key, right? Yeah, anytime you co-sign for anybody, whether it's a business or not, understand 100% of that debt could accrue to you. And sometimes the bank might say, okay, we're going to extend these terms. We're going to give you another six months if you'll agree to give us a personal guarantee on all of our indebtedness. And sometimes the entrepreneur will see no other option but to do that. And then suddenly, again, they've compromised all their personal assets. What about widening that scope, getting more people involved, putting, getting their money in? Usually not a good idea. (laughs) It sounds like a good idea, though. If if someone tells you they want you to be a director of their corporation, ask a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Because as soon as you're a director, you can be on the hook for any new liability, corporate tax, sorry, not corporate tax, but um, source deductions, GST, different amounts owing to government. Mm, And that sounds like small print stuff. Hmm right? Paying attention to the small print of what what your obligations are. Yeah, you may sign on as a director, not appreciating that you actually have a lot of responsibilities to make sure this thing operates correctly. I think it's important too, just to remind folks, if any of this resonates with you at all, you've got your own small business, you know someone who, who, who may have the business who's running into financial trouble, or at least on that pathway, uh, the very best advice, get some help. Uh, Sands and Associates are a very, very good place to start, as well as your own circle, your accountants, like we mentioned in the uh, talking about this. Uh, Sands and Associates, though, I've been talking with Blair Manton from Sands. Call 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line is Bridget Casey. She's the president and CEO of Money After Graduation. It's a financial literacy website solely dedicated to helping college students and new grads pay off student debt, learn to budget, save money, invest for the future, Now get this, here's the stat. Since its inception back in January 2012, the site has grown to get over 3,000 visitors a day. Bridget, that's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Boy, and what a great topic. I had so much fun going through your website, Money After Graduation. It's it's an issue for sure, the cost of education these days, and for young people to figure out how to get there and, the, and, and, and create all this money or get the student debt and, or uh, student loans in order to do this. So important, education, but boy, oh boy, the debt can be just so overwhelming. Yeah, it really is. I think the average graduate uh, finishing university or college with as much as $30,000 now. And that would just be for an undergrad degree, right? Yeah, compared to going for uh, going for more after that, and I understand that that's the thing to do is just keep getting more degrees these days. <laughs> you kind of have to, right? So let's let's talk to the student right now. Uh, or first off, what kind of um, what kind of the what are the common pitfalls that uh, that students, uh, recent students or recent grads, need to watch out for? It's boring too much student loans and taking on too much debt. I mean, when you're 18 or 19 and you're just starting university, you've probably never even earned 30 or $40,000 in a single year before. So it's hard to understand 
large of a balance that really is when you're taking it on as debt. So just being aware that when you are signing on the dotted line for these amounts of ten or $15,000 or more per year of your degree, when you graduate, that is real money that you have to pay back. And if it's close to or more than your salary, it's going to take you a number of years to get the balance down to zero. So, so Bridget, I remember when I was going through, through university, you know, whatever the government would give you on your student loan, everyone took the maximum. It sounds like what you're saying is, you know, that conventional wisdom is not, is not wise. Um, you know, really be careful. Maybe don't take the maximum. Think about, you know, if you could get by on less to minimize the debt after graduation. Is that, that what you're saying? Yeah, that would be great. The alternative is to take the maximum and just store what you don't need in a savings account, because really the government is going to give you more in loans than you actually need for your tuition and fees because they account for living expenses and additional costs like textbooks and computers. But if you can find even a small part-time job during the weekends or in the summers, you won't need to rely on this debt to carry you through university. And then you can just keep it in a savings account and return it to the government when you graduate. It sounds like such a, um, I don't know if if hard is the right word, but... uh, if I want this degree, if this is the thing that I want to do more than anything, and this is what it's going to cost me, uh, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get, you know, achieve that end. Uh, but the cost involved is so enormous. It, you must you must run into all kinds of people who have uh, huge uh, challenges when it comes to uh, comes to school debt. Yeah, I think a lot of people borrow under the guise that student loan debt is always good debt, which <laughs> isn't necessarily true if it doesn't lead to a degree that earns you a higher income, then it's really bad debt. But we have a tendency to turn a blind eye to the cost of borrowing and the amount we borrow. And again, it's just that expectation that we'll be able to pay it off with ease, but you really can't predict where you will be in two or four or six years and what the job market will be like and what your income will be like. Yeah, and Bridget, we did a, a study as Sands and Associates a few years ago. We went on campus and we surveyed students and we asked them, you know, well, how much do you expect to earn six months after graduation, a year after, two years after, and how quickly do you think you'll pay down your debt? And no surprise to you, and it wasn't a surprise to us, was just the incredible optimism of, of students. You know, <laughs> ju- yeah, just about everybody thought they'll be well above the median income in BC, you know, within six months to a year. And just about everybody thought they'd have their debts paid off within a few years, where the research, and Bridget, you probably have more current numbers, but I thought it's, you know, around 10 years or so is is the average for a student loan to get cleared these days. Yeah, and the reason for that is because that's the term on student loans. I think there's just a large disconnect between how much opportunity there really is in the job market and how much you can ask for as an entry-level employee. And then again, you don't have those skills like salary negotiation, which is a really easy, well, it's a really painful 20-minute conversation, but it can add two or three or $5,000 to your starting pay. But when you're coming out of university, you don't know how to do that. And the other thing grads don't consider is how long it actually takes to find a job. Maybe you will get hired at a fifty or $60,000 a year job right out of university, but it might take you six or nine months to actually find that job. Exactly. And then once you, even if you get that great job, and let's say it's in the lower mainland, the cost of living, uh, you know, rarely do, does everybody sort of figure in the cost of living, especially yeah, young absolutely. people. <laughs> right? 
that's why I say if you're borrowing forty or fifty thousand dollars, you might think, oh well, I'll pay it back no problem because I'm going to earn fifty thousand dollars as soon as I graduate. But you're losing a lot of money to income taxes, living expenses, rents are sky high. It costs at least four or five hundred dollars a month for groceries. If you own a car, it's something else. Like most young people, really only have a few hundred dollars, if that, to put towards their debt when they've graduated and it will take years at that pace to pay off a forty or fifty thousand dollar balance. Now, now Bridget, we've talked a lot about um, student loans, you know, the government student loans, but um, definitely a pet peeve of, of mine is, you know, credit card companies when they go on campus for Frost Week with, you know, the giveaways and getting everyone to sign up for a credit card. Um, you know, to me, that that can be a, a big issue when, when folks graduate is, you know, they're, they're counseled, hey, get this credit card, it'll help you build your credit rating. Um, you know, my view is, hey, you can build your credit rating pretty quick. You don't necessarily need to get the card on campus uh, for whatever the gifts are there. Oftentimes it hooks, you know, students on credit pretty early in life. Uh, I'm curious your view. Would you think, you know, students are doing a smart thing by getting the credit card when it's offered on campus or should they delay? Uh, I don't really like the campus credit cards because I don't think they give good offers. Like you said, it's usually a cheap gift like a t-shirt or a mug for signing up for an annual fee card that has no rewards. But if they go to their bank and they can get a no annual fee card that has some kind of travel rewards or cash back with a very low limit, say like $500 or $1,000 to start, then that's fine. Because I do believe in building credit when you're young. Your student loans will also build credit. And the reason I'm not as concerned with credit card debt is even though the interest rates are very high, I mean, you're going to pay 20% on uh, your in interest on your credit card debt. But if your credit card only has a $1,000 limit, I mean, it sucks, but it's not really going to hurt you financially the same way borrowing tens of thousands of dollars of government or personal loans to go to school will. Bridget, have you got some other good uh, tips for, for folks just either getting into school or coming out of school and how they can do a better job than, let's say, somebody who's not been listening to you? Well, I'm really focused on increasing your income. I always work two, sometimes three jobs while I was in university. And I try to keep most of those jobs on campus, like tutoring or being one of those people that monitors the computer labs. So one of the best things you can do when you're a student is just find a really easy part-time job to boost your income. Because even if you're subsisting on student loans to pay your tuition and your rent, you can use this extra money coming in for fun, like your beer money for Friday night. So I think the more you get used to working hard, balancing your time, earning extra income and managing your finances, that's really what's going to serve you well throughout university and also after you graduate. Bridget, such great advice. Uh, Listen, in wrapping up, I just want to encourage everyone to take a look at your website, moneyaftergraduation.com. You've got a blog, you've got a fabulous e-course that I started to take a look at earlier, and a YouTube channel uh, where you actually talk people through some things. It's just such a great website, and I just love the fact that you've taken on this topic. Thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. We cover a lot of topics here every week on Dollars and Cents, from mistakes not to make when you're in debt to mapping out the mystery behind credit scores and reports and everything in between. We'd love your input as a listener on what financial-related topics are important to you. Tell us what you want to learn more about. Send us an email to radio at sands-trustee.com. That's radio at sands-trustee.com. 
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we've talked about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Joining us on the show right now is Marsha, former client of Sands & Associates. Hello, Marsha. Hi there. How are you doing? We're good. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Yeah, Marcia, it, it's Blair. Now, you and I work together, so obviously I, I know a bunch of the background here, but mm-hmm. for the benefit of the listeners, can you give me um, some background on the situation that brought you to Sands & Associates? Um, how did you reach out for help and what really drove that decision? Okay, um, it's sure, definitely. You know, I I realize now that what caused me to reach out is something that kind of happens to a lot of us, but, uh, you know, I'd fallen into a rut um, of literally living beyond my means um, and my income. I knew it was getting crazy, but I didn't have any clue how to get out of it. Um, I had a nest egg that I built up after I sold my house, and I, I moved, and I was um, slowly, you know, with rent and with life and everything going on, I was eating into that nest egg as opposed to staying, uh, you know, within the budget of what I was earning. And and, it and, and Marcia, good. where where did yeah. you move from? Um, I moved from Cranbrook <laughs> to mm-hmm. Vancouver. So a big difference in the costs, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And although I'm from the Lower Mainland and my job was fantastic, I just, we were stuck in a situation. When I came into town, I had a place to live and we had a situation set up that was perfect for us and then something happened and it fell through so we kind of had to scramble and in that scramble I took the closest place to where I was working and didn't even consider all the other things that would have been part of you know living downtown so it definitely um it definitely opened my eyes quickly but I got so drowning so fast and I had no one to talk to about it um it was it was it was just like a cycle. It was a cycle upon cycle, and I didn't even realize I'd fallen so far into it until I realized that I had you know credit card to pay a credit card to pay mm-hmm. a credit card to pay a credit card, yeah. and my consumer debt was just mounting without any any end to it, and that that led to things like you know anxiety and definitely stress going on in my life, and um, you know a fearfulness that. Uh, I hadn't really experienced in a long while, right? I'd worked hard to get myself where I was. And then all of a sudden I realized I was back where I was previously in another time in my life. And the shame that kind of hit me was just huge. Like I, I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't want to let anybody in my life know that, you know, I didn't have a handle on my financial situation. And I think that that's a real common place for us to be in uh, because handling our lives financially is kind of hand in hand with being an adult. And I was definitely not in the place where that was going on realistically in my life. And And it wasn't changing it because we... You spend, you go out to eat, you buy groceries, you, you, you do things, period, and, and they all cost money. And if you're not, if you don't have a grasp on that, um, and, and a good budgeting sense and, and, you know, know what to do with it when you get it, it, it's a really hard place to be in. And I just kind of, I hit a wall, um, and I did the things I needed to do 
to uh, take care of the finances and my situation as best I could. I moved out of Vancouver into the Fraser Valley. But Marcia, before you, before you go on, yeah. I just want to ask you a question. How mm-hmm. long did that process take? How long did you sort of uh, muck about and and then realize that you were in a in a situation that you needed some help? How how many days or months or what it, oh, did it, it take? Years. It, it was a full 18 months. 18 months. <laughs> yeah, it was a full 18 months. I ran my lease, and then I ran my lease six months past. It was truly the final six months of when my lease expired and I released that I was like, oh, goodness, I needed to make a change. Uh, it was that long, though. So, yeah, about 18 months before the realization of what kind of mess I was in really became real. And how long did it take you between when you realized to then get a hold of Blair and and get some help with it? Probably about four or five months, which is funny, but my path to Sands and Associates and to Blair went down a sad, but uh, very, I think still common thing that I didn't know about Sands and Associates at that time. I didn't even know about uh, consumer proposals or um, a debt consolidation or anything like that, right? I I saw an ad because I transited when I worked downtown on a bus, in the bus stations, on the, at the SkyTrain stations. I saw an ad about, you know, if you're drowning and, you know, if things are going crazy and everything's going bad, call this number and they'll help you. Well, I had reached a point of desperation where I was like, okay, I'm going to call, but I still wasn't going to tell anybody. Yeah. And, and, and Marcia, that, that's just completely consistent with the, the clients that we see day in and day out. And I'm so yeah. pleased that you're, you're sharing your experience because it's about two years, it seems, that, you know, yeah. people, they, they really, like using your words, you know, they were ashamed, they were stressed, you know, they were carrying it all on themselves, but they're reaching out for help. They start, start to feel better pretty quick, at least that's my, my experience. Um, I wonder if you, if you can share a bit for the listeners. You, you filed a, a consumer proposal. I wonder if you can just kind of describe what that was like, what it did for you. Oh, that was, when when I found you guys, when I found Sands and Associates, that was, it was like finally taking that deep breath, <laughs> and I stopped waiting for that other shoe to drop. Um, I had such a great experience. From the moment I walked in, and, you know, I had somebody tell me that it's all going to be okay. <laughs> yep. You know, the calls are going to stop. We're going to we're going to get you uh, get the situation under control. They were going to reach out to the debtors and, and, and the creditors. Uh, and be able to make an arrangement for me to put it all together and make a payment that was reasonable. Because that was the biggest thing, is there was no way to complete all the payments to everybody all the time. And um, that was the cycle of it. And all of a sudden, I got to Sands and Associates, I filed this consumer proposal, and it was so simple. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was so quick. That was the thing. I literally was in there, and then within a week, all the paperwork was ready to go, and all of a sudden, I could start living life again without... Yep. Uh, Marcia, I'm wondering what did that do in, in terms of your, your payments? So, you know, you said that the minimum payments um, before were more than you, you could afford. I think you said it was, mm-hmm. you know, more than your, your salary. What did the proposal do? That gave you a payment you could afford? Do you remember kind of ballpark numbers? Oh, yeah. Um, I, my payments went from literally eight or $900 a month mm-hmm. down to 125 Wow, that, that big, right? Yeah, that yeah. was huge. 
And it was distributed. I didn't have to take care of the distribution of it. I didn't have to take care of contacting to make these arrangements. The skill set that is available at Sands & Associates to reach out to these people in a way that they respond to, because that's something I learned. The people, the debt I had, they were not responsive until... Sands and Associate came. I came on board with this consumer proposal project and went ahead and and allowed them to do the mediating for me. Uh, it took it from more than you know a mortgage payment down to something that is easily paid monthly. That's that's excellent, Marcia. I'm wondering about you know your, your experience now. You know, has there been an impact on your financial habits, on, on your attitudes? Um, you know, as part of the consumer proposal process, there's two financial counseling sessions. You know, we, mm-hmm. we hope as practitioners that those you know that they, they take take form and you know they, they really do do lead to some change behaviors. I wonder if you can give a sense of where are you now. You know what? They were really great tools. They provided me first the first appointment I had. Uh, it was all about. You know, facing your debt, because that's something that you tend to do when you get uh, out of control. And it talked to me about, you know, dealing with things immediately. I stopped uh, letting things go. And now by habit, I do that. If something comes up and there's some something coming up, then and it's I'm not going to be able to, to make a payment or if there's uh, anything in the world, because you never know what's going to come up. I deal with it right away. I don't go ahead and wait. I I reach out to where it's concerned. And that less and less does that even happen anymore in my life. The other thing that happened was it taught me the tools of budgeting, as well as budgeting for things that you don't even think about. Like I have some stretch goals that I set out at my second appointment um, for something great to be coming up in my future. And that was exciting to realize that in the midst of all this, they taught me a way to find um, something to look forward to some kind of a hope, right? And that was the most important thing for me was having hope that this wasn't the end and it was just the beginning to start with tools of, you know, being aware of the little spending, being aware of what has to be paid monthly and then, you know, setting away money for something great that you want to do in your life (laughs) as opposed to just thinking it's always going out, it's going out, it's going out and never thinking that anything was ever going to be positive again about the financial situation. Yeah, Marcia, you've got us in in the studio here just, you know, grinning ear to ear because this is exactly, (laughs) you know, why I do this work, you know, the the transformation that you've had. I just know that this happens day in and day out with with clients who are on consumer proposals or or even personal bankruptcies. You know, it's life changing getting getting rid of your debt. Um, I wonder if you have any words of advice for others who might be in a similar position to what you faced, Marcia? I definitely do. And, you know, you're going to hear me say this, and I know it can take some time, but don't be afraid to just make that call. Sometimes the thing that stops us is we just don't know. And that is, that is what I learned most out of this. You know, reach out to somebody else. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger who knows what they're talking about than it is to the closest people to you. So don't let that fear or that shame or that worry that, you know, you're just, they're going to look at you and say, how could you have messed up? Because that's not what happens. You know, they talked to me, they treated me like an adult, they were professional, they were so respectful of everything I was going through. It was the best thing I ever did. So, you know, if you cannot wait for two years before Mm -hmm. you go in and get help, that would be the best thing. But even if you're still at that point where you've waited and you feel like you're against the wall, reach out. Uh, this was probably one of the best things that I ever did was when I decided to go ahead with a consumer proposal and do it the right way. 
Marcia, such great advice for folks that uh, uh, are in the same situation that you were in. We appreciate you talking with us today so much. Confidential in-person consultations with Sands & Associates are always free. Simply call Sands & Associates at 1-800-661-3030 or visit the Sands & Associates website at sands-trustee.com to book your free consultation today. If you're not ready to meet in person or know someone who's resisting reaching out to a debt management professional like Sands & Associates, we still want to help. Simply send us an email with the breakdown of your debts, any assets that you have, such as a vehicle, home, or RRSPs, a basic idea as to your household's income, expenses, and general budget, plus any relevant information about your circumstances and situation. We'll review your situation anonymously during a segment and talk about what sort of solutions could be used to get you to a debt-free future. Send us the email at radio at sands-trustee.com. That's radio at sands-trustee.com today. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I love these segments. These are case studies that that Blair and I get to talk about. And this is where I think it's so important for folks that they're listening, because this is the kind of information that might really resonate with them. And they go, oh, that's just like me, or that's just like my sister, Mm -hmm. or whatever. So let's start. before. uh, Actually, before we get into the examples, Mm -hmm. can we talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about what you do at Sands & Associates and and, and what a licensed insolvency trustee is? Sure. So the best part of my job, Elaine, is is, as we're going to talk to on these case studies, I meet with people and I understand their financial situation and I help them fix it. I help them move forward. If they've got too much debt, they've got no idea how they're going to pay something, how they're going to get back on track. As a licensed insolvency trustee, I've got the power of federal law behind me that I can stop all interest on debt and I can reduce it down to what people can afford. And that's called a consumer proposal. And that works, you know, probably two thirds of people that come to see us, they opt for consumer proposals and they don't go into bankruptcy. The other thing I can help with is I can help with a personal bankruptcy. So if there's the wolves at the door, people are calling you like crazy, starting to seize your wages and you can't even afford to pay back a third of the debt, it's so bad that a bankruptcy can give you the relief you need to restructure yourself and move forward. So when I got into this job, I, I didn't know if I'd like it so much because it sounds like, you know, you're going to hear bad news every day, but I find it so uplifting. Just about everybody I meet with, they've had a tough time. They're honest people and we're able to help them move forward with a better path. And the cool thing about it, Sands and Associates, they give you an opportunity to have one, a free consultation right off the bat. Yep. And that way you can go and see Blair and say, okay, this, 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 and this is my situation, and I'm concerned about this or worried about that or what about this, and uh, you'll sit down with these folks and help them. Yeah, exactly. And even if it's a situation that we can't help with, you know, if the solution is not a bankruptcy or not a proposal, we'll still spend a lot of time. We'll give you as much information as we can. If it's just general questions about credit and debt, we're usually the best place you can come because we're unbiased. Excellent. Okay, so let's talk about one of these uh, unfortunate uh, life, real life situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when uh, in this and in this case, a bankruptcy actually allowed for that financial fresh start. So yeah. not the consumer proposal, mm-hmm. but a bankruptcy. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So this was a gentleman that came to see us in our Vancouver office, um, and the way he described it is he was running a restaurant, which is always a dangerous thing. Oof. And I would agree with so that. So appreciated <laughs> if it's good, but man, it's a tough business. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the margins are just so tight on a yeah. restaurant, you know, like a retail store. And you've seen so many retailers go bankrupt this year. With tight margins, you have to do everything right to maybe be a couple percent positive. As soon as one thing goes wrong, you know, you can lose a lot of money very quickly. Yeah, increased rent or mm-hmm. lease or whatever. Yeah, or even just customer tastes change, you know, who knows. Um, but for this gentleman, so he was married, uh, he was 72 years old, and his debts were about $125,000. So, you know, very significant. Um, and $25,000 of that was amounts owing for a business GST account. So he had to shut down the restaurant. Um, he was on the hook as a director of the corporation for government amounts that weren't paid, and GST was a big portion of that. Um, the thing that drove him out of business, exactly as you alluded to, Elaine, was a rent increase. So I forget the exact percentage because I have people tell me this, you know, quite often it's happening across the city here. Absolutely. But, you know, sometimes it's a doubling of rent or a 30 or 50 percent increase and you just can't absorb that. He had been in business for a lot of years, but, you know, he basically said it sounded like the landlord just wanted to do something else with the space and was making it unaffordable for us. Often that's a situation, isn't it? It's yeah. not so much they want you out, but they want to do something different with that ever valuable land. Yeah. And now when I sat down with him in the consultation, I always ask, you know, well, what have you tried so far? And, you know, just seeing, you know, what, what might work or what might not. And unfortunately in this situation, you know, he's again, honest as the day is long, a very good businessman, but he didn't quite understand that some of his assets were protected. So before he came to see me, he had cashed in, I think it was about $20,000 of his RRSP money. Mm. So he's, you know, again, already 72 years old, should be retired in there and had some good retirement savings. But as he was trying, you know, not to have to to come and see a trustee, he cashed in some RRSPs, which essentially did him no good. And uh, explain explain yeah. that piece. Why isn't that a good idea? Well, because RRSPs are federally protected. So if he had to file a bankruptcy, which is what he did, he would keep those RRSPs 100% at the end of it. So if he had $100,000 going in and he took nothing out, he'd have $100,000 going out. But if prior to the bankruptcy, again, trying to do the right thing, if he cashed in those RRSPs and used the money to pay debts, there's no way he's ever going to get that money back. It's it, gone. It's almost counterintuitive for the really thoughtful, caring, trying yeah. to do the right thing person, isn't it? Oh, it, it is. And you know, the challenge here is that you've got some discretion with an RRSP. When it's a company pension plan, you can't do anything. The company got it locked in there and you can't touch it until it's time. With an RRSP, the ability that you have to touch it can sometimes be too tempting. Uh, but if you understand the broader context here, it's almost never a good idea to cash in your RRSPs. Got it. So what was the uh, solution for this guy? Yes, yeah, so we looked at the situation. We saw there's a $125,000 of debt, including a lot to the government. After the restaurant shut down, he was essentially just getting government pensions and minimal part-time income. You know, his his income was under $2,000 a month, so he's below the low-income guideline for, for a family of two there. Um, so we spent a lot of time discussing at options. Again, he didn't want to go into bankruptcy, but it was really the right option at the end of the day. Um, based on his income, based on essentially a lack of assets and everything else that had went forward, um, he was done bankruptcy after nine months. So not the six or seven years. He said to me, you know, I spent more time dithering about the decision to come and see you guys mm-hmm. than I actually spent in bankruptcy. And I said, yeah, that's a common thing. Right? You know, a lot of people Absolutely. spend about two years worrying about it before yeah. they, they come in and, and take the first step. He was in bankruptcy for nine months. He paid $200 a month for those nine months, which is the minimum amount set by government. Uh, We helped him deal with all the government debt, all the other unsecured debts, and we helped him move forward. Excellent. Mm -hmm. How about uh, another example of a a real-life situation, Uh, this time involving a family, because, uh, you know, it's not just individuals or single people who get into pickles like this, Uh, especially in this day and age. It's like whole families get affected. Yeah, exactly, Elaine. And this this is a great example because this is someone who is a recent immigrant to Canada, and they came to Canada because they had a great job. Their employer moved them here. 
Um, but unfortunately, after a few years of arriving, that job disappeared. Um, and the, the father of the family, he had a period of a number of months of unemployment uh, where the family expenses were still continuing to tick up, and he used credit to fill the gap. You know, as, as you would, if you don't have money in the bank for groceries, well, you're going to put the groceries on the credit card and well, try to deal month. with it, it's right? It's just for this month, exactly. and then next month things will be different, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, when he came to see us, um, so he they were both in their mid-30s. Um, he had two children and an elderly family member as well, so supporting a bunch of people on the impact. Um, and he had already reestablished a job at that point, so they were bringing home a very good wage. So for the two income earners and the three dependents, it was about $8,000 a month, including child tax benefit and employment, so still very good. Um, but they had about $86,000 of unsecured consumer debt. So even at that income level, he was struggling to make minimum payments, and he knew it was going to be, you know, 50 years plus if he just makes the minimum payments to actually get out of that debt. Right. And do we, and are we talking credit card debt of that 86000 That was it, yeah. So it wasn't wow. tax debt. He was T4 the whole time. It was essentially unsecured credit card debt. And there's and there's another group of, of folks on the planet who aren't very flexible in what they charge you on a monthly basis. That's true, yeah. yeah. No, there's a certain amount, a minimum, and that interest gets tacked on no matter what. Yeah, so, they yeah, tell you we... what it is, and, and then they charge it to you. Yep. All righty. So his solution, so he had $86,000 of debt, ridiculous amounts of minimum payments. Uh, we were able to split the debt between him and his spouse, and we helped each of them with consumer proposals. We were able to bring his payments down. Again, it was over two, dollars $3,000 a month for all of their debts, their minimum payments. His payments we brought down to $415 a month, so no interest. He's paying back what he can afford at $415. And we brought his wife's payments down to $325 per month. So combined, they were just over $700, you know, 740 or so, which was about a third of what they were paying. And this has an end date. A proposal is done in five years unless they can pay it off sooner, where what they were doing before, they'd make these payments until until they couldn't make the payments anymore. Now, is this unusual that both the uh, both uh, people of the couple would uh, get a consumer proposal? Is that is or is that a unique situation? It's increasingly common because quite often banks are you know giving everybody supplementary cards or encouraging couples to apply for joint products. So we're seeing it more and more. Sometimes people do a joint proposal as once uh, at at once, or they do two separate proposals. Okay, is there an advantage or disadvantage to doing it either way? Because that's interesting. Not much of a difference, um, to be honest. You know, sometimes doing a joint proposal is better because then both spouses can do a proposal as opposed to one perhaps having to go into a bankruptcy. Okay. But each situation is a little bit different. So okay. yeah, you just want to sit down with your trustee and figure it out. So you'll, yeah, so I was just going to say, so you'll help me figure that out if I'm in that situation. Always. So that's, a, again, This uh, these are two very real uh, life case studies that Blair and his team at Ma- uh, Sands and Associates have looked after and, and helped and got these folks uh, into a better place than they were before they walked in the door. If you'd like more information, check out the website, sands-trustee.com. It's a terrific website. There's so much information, lots of frequently asked questions, or the phone number, it's a 1-800 number, 661-3030, for that free consultation and to find an office near you. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.